Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the behind-the-scenes story of how the 1987 Rugby World Cup was won with All Blacks captain David Kirk. David, welcome to Front Row Rugby. Hello, Peter. I'm happy to be here. Now, before we begin our conversation, let's have a look at today's trivia question. Who was the leading point scorer at the 1987 Rugby World Cup? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below. And we'll also find out if David knows the answer. I'm pretty sure he does. We'll see if he remembers the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. David, let's begin just before that 1987 Rugby World Cup began, the inaugural tournament. How excited were the players? Very excited. Uh, this was the first time we'd ever had the opportunity to uh, genuinely show we were the best in the world. Um, and, you know, the All Blacks have often been the best in the world, not always, but uh, they've never actually been given the opportunity to play in a tournament where they could genuinely say we're the world champions. David, it seems these days as if the All Blacks enter every Rugby World Cup as the favourites. To what extent was that the case in 1987? Well, it was unusual. I think there was the home advantage and there was the fact that it was the All Blacks. But we'd had a very disrupted build-up. In 1986, we lost a home series to uh, Australia and we went to France on the end of season tour in October, November, and we won the first test and lost the second test. Um, so it wasn't an obviously you know, well-established team that was going into the World Cup with favouritism. And in fact, there were a lot of changes. Uh, probably two-thirds of the team that played in that um, 1987 World Cup were new players, players that had played less than 10 test matches. How were you feeling ahead of that opening match against Italy? Excited, actually. I mean, it was on a Thursday afternoon, midweek, so midweek, and there was a, there was a very small opening ceremony. Um, but the very first match in the very first World Cup was a very exciting thing to be part of. And I think, well, I thought we would win, but it was all about, it was a pretty new team. Uh, that team had certainly never played test matches together before. It was very dominated by the Auckland region, so um, I'd played with a lot of the players. But um, very excited to get on the field and get going in that first World Cup. And then you absolutely blew them away. Would you say that that matched or exceeded expectations? Definitely exceeded. Um, we didn't really know what to expect because, as I say, it was a new young team. We didn't know much about the Italian team. Um, and we played really well. We played a very you know, fluent uh, attacking rugby, lots of ball handling, lots of backing up, lots of tries. Um, John Kerwin scored that magnificent try from one end of the field to the other. So, yes, definitely exceeded expectations. And then, of course, New Zealand were the co-hosts for that tournament. I'm curious, David, in terms of the way that the All Blacks did things at that uh, competition, did you guys stay at a hotel or at a base camp together, or did you guys just go home at the end of the match? Um, we stayed at... Uh, we were all together for the whole, whole tournament. Um, we had a bit of a... We had a um, sort of base camp type thing, um, or at least a, a training camp prior to the World Cup beginning. Uh, and then we travelled um, between games, and so we were staying in hotels throughout the tournament, except for one um, much-talked-about uh, event when at the end of the pool stages uh, we went to Wairapa, which is a, a rural country district um, just north and, and east of Wellington, uh, where Brian Lahore, our coach, came from, so he knew a lot of farmers and a lot of people there, and we're all billeted out on farms for a night. So we had this sort of break while we sort of went back to basics and roots and we um, just spent some time in the country um, and overnight with farming families uh, before we headed, headed off to Christchurch for the quarterfinals. 
That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. And speaking of fun, I'm sure it was a lot of that when you were busy thrashing Fiji and Argentina to wrap up the pool stages. How excited do you think the public were at that moment in terms of hosting the first ever Rugby World Cup? Oh, I think very excited. I mean, there have been a lot of um, people were very uh, upset about the, the Cavaliers tour to South Africa and early in 1986. And there had not been a lot of, there's just a lot of grumbling and a lot of unhappy people. But once the team, which was largely a new team, so it wasn't made up of those players so much who had been to South Africa, um, there was a good representation. Um, but they, they 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 saw the style of rugby that was being played and the game, the team felt more youthful. It, it felt like it was playing a very attacking, exciting style of rugby. And I guess people started to think, oh, we can win this World Cup. So they started to get very excited for the team and for our prospects in the knockout stages. David, I'm glad that you mentioned that 1986 Cavaliers tour to South Africa, because in many ways, that is how you became the All Blacks captain. Tell us that story. Uh, that was a tour that was there was a rebel tour uh, that went to South Africa. It wasn't sanctioned by the New Zealand Rugby Union. Um, I didn't go on that tour. Uh, and the players that came, when they came back from that tour after a couple of months, they were banned for two two test matches. So that was my first um, period as captain of the All Blacks during the period when they were banned, and then I can, continued after that. But I didn't captain the team in France at the end of that same year, 1986. And how would you describe your leadership style? My leadership style, well, I think it's like it's it's clear, it's performance orientated, like every New Zealander and probably most um, uh, you know, national teams around the world, you're very focused on winning. And so high expectations, clear expectations set with people, but also pretty collaborative. I mean, uh, that's been my my leadership style throughout, really, in my career after rugby. But certainly wasn't rugby as well. I don't know how to fix scrums if scrums aren't going well and, and the outside backs know more about what's going on out there and and always worked in real um, partnership with my first 5'8", or fly half, as it's called in other parts of the world, um, to run the game. And, and so I was always listening and learning and 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 delegating, if you like, to other people. But but also being a bit of a um, a bit bossy around um, the high level of expectations we had uh, and making sure people performed well. And on the topic of leadership, David, obviously as the captain, you need to draw the line between being the leader and being too buddy-buddy with your teammates. How did you manage that? Um, I think that there's tradition in, in the All Blacks where the captain always rooms alone. So normally people are rooming with a, a partner someone else. So there's two people in, in a room at hotels, um, but the captain's always on their own. And I think you just, you, you do consistently have to take responsibility for things. So when there's a question to, to be answered or a decision to be made, you have to step up and you have to make that decision. And that sets you aside. And and, and after over a period of time, you're pretty brief, people look to you, look to you to lead. And so you become that person who is leading and who is who is expected to make decisions. Um, and you certainly are not going out and you know, leading the charge on socialising. In those days, it was drinking and and you know having a good time. Um, nowadays, they're a bit more careful. But um, yeah, so you've got to be careful and, and sort of hold yourself back when it comes to those um, you know fun social times. You mentioned that you guys made your way to Christchurch for the quarterfinals. That was against Scotland, another convincing victory for the All Blacks. At that stage, it appeared as if you guys were steamrolling your way to the title. What were your feelings at that moment? Yeah, I mean, Scotland was interesting because Scotland drew with France, the eventual other finalists, and clearly the second best team in the tournament. 
um, as they went on. They drew with them in the pool stages. So, you know, Scotland was a good team. And Scotland, I think, I'm pretty sure, had won the Five Nations or been the best non-French, uh, the best home nation, as they used to call them, best of the four, um, leading into the World Cup. So they were a bit unlucky. In fact, they're very unlucky. And I think this year's World Cup's interesting too because they're going to be some very good teams that that go out of the quarter, or at least one very good team that goes out of the quarterfinal, possibly two, because I think everyone's stacked on one side of the draw. But um, I think uh, in those days it was Scotland who was unlucky. They met the event, eventual winner in the quarterfinal. So it was a tough game. We had to work hard. I mean, we scored two tries, which was the fewest number of tries we scored in any game in the tournament. We only scored... We scored three in the final, yeah. So we only scored two tries against them, and we scored them in the last 20 minutes. So we, we stayed ahead for most of the game because we kicked penalties, and we certainly had you know, possession and position dominance, but it was hard to score. So, But in the end, we won by 30 points to three, so it sounds like we won easily. But um, it was a good test for us, and it was a good test at the right time. Because we come out of you know, you know well-won pool games, uh, and then we ran into probably the third best team in the tournament. Um, and you know, we had to work hard, so it was good for us at the time. Do you really know your rugby? Do you always get your predictions right? Why not make some money then? Open an account right now with Tic Tac Bets and get up to 2,000 Rand and 20 spins with your first deposit. The link is appearing on your screen and I'll also put it in the description area. Please note that this is an affiliate link and I will make a little commission on it. Winners know when to stop. National Responsible Gambling Program. Toll-free helpline 0800-006-008. No persons under the age of 18 years are permitted to gamble. And what was your relationship like with Brian Lahore? What was my relationship with Brian? Oh, it was great. Really good. He's a, he's a wonderful man. He's, a, he's again, he was an all-black captain himself. Um, and uh, so he knew what players were going through. He'd been around New Zealand rugby for a long time. He played in the 60s and very early 70s. Um, he he was a man, he was a you know, people's coach. He 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 led or coached or managed through getting the best out of people. He wasn't overly technical. So you know we just spent a lot of time talking about technical things. So he was all about expecting players to prepare themselves well, um, to be to, to take responsibility for the technical side of the game, whether it's lineouts or breakdowns or scrums. Or passing or back moves, and we, we we the players took responsibility for a lot of that, and it was his job to you know set expectations and standards to manage the team and have the team well prepared, um, and then and to support obviously people when when they had their own challenges in terms of form or or, or injury, uh, and get the best out of the team, which he did a great job of, and I found him you know great to work with. Now, given that the tournament was co-hosted by Australia, how enjoyable was it for you guys to actually go that side to play your semi-final in Brisbane, or was that actually more of an inconvenience? No, it was good. Uh, we felt good. We felt like it was the, the whole tournament was a was an was a, a an investigation. It was an experimentation. The first ever World Cup final, um, seeing Wales and Ireland play in New Zealand. They never they never ever played outside their own one or other of their own two countries before that. And so this everything was new and everything was different. So you know, packing up and shipping off to Australia to play Wales in the in the semi final was just another exciting step on the on the journey. Uh, and I think I think deep down we felt like we we're playing really well. Wales and England fought out a pretty a pretty uninspiring quarterfinal. So either of those teams we felt um, we were likely to beat, uh, and so it turned out to be. 
indeed the case. Now, I know that they had a man sent off and you fancied your chances against him, but 49-6 is still a pretty big hiding, right? Yeah, we were already well underway before they had the man sent off in the second half. Um, yeah, so we were we played very well that game as well, but they weren't as good as Scotland. I mean, Scotland, neither England nor nor Ireland nor Wales were as good as Scotland. So we actually were, it was, normally you'd play a harder team in the semi-final. We actually ended up playing a team that wasn't as good because they'd come through an easier part of the draw. But um, we played very well. We played really well. I was I was very annoyed, though, because we gave up a try to them. We shouldn't have given up a try. You know, they they, they one converted try for them, the six. We scored about probably eight tries. But, um, you know, it was frustrating to me. We shouldn't have given up that try. It's all about excellence, right? And so um, the semi-final the day before, Australia and France, that was actually quite a memorable match, possibly the match of the tournament. Uh, I know that you guys would have watched that. Did you have any preference over who you would play in the final? Yeah, we did. Um, we were actually both teams, I mean, different people would have different preferences, but both teams, we would have liked to play either of them in the final because we lost to both of them the last time we played them. So we lost in the home series to Australia in 1986, including the final test, the deciding test. They won. In fact, that's still the last time they've won on Eden Park. So I remain the last all-black captain to have led a team to lose to the Wallabies on Eden Park. And that's in 1986. Goes back a long way. Um, so that was that. But also we'd lost to France in the final test in Nantes the previous year. So we sort of had... We had um, scores to settle with both teams. Uh, I think in terms of, um, I don't think we had any view about which was the better team. Uh, I don't think we really minded who we played. Both teams had played well, but not, you know, had not been dominating the way we'd been dominating. Um, so I think it was, it was they were, there was a good semi-final. Certainly Australia was right up there, two, three, four, in terms of the best teams at the tournament. So, um, yeah, we were happy to play either of them. Talk to me about the week building up to the final. Well, in some ways it was the least, or it was, the, it was a funny week because in, mentally it was the most pressured week because we're building up and everyone's nervous and we're doing things. But sort of physically it was the least pressured week. We really took, took, the, took the foot off the throttle when it came to hard training because we, we played our semi-final on a Sunday, flown back to New Zealand on a Monday. We'd had a, we had had um, a, a sort of casual run uh, on the, or no, a reasonable run, a, a sort of well-structured run, but not not a physical run on the Tuesday. We'd we'd done very little on the third, on the on the Wednesday. We'd had a full run, you know, full training, and you know, lineouts, scrums, and and playing together, working on our moves, which we'd you know, been more or less doing the same thing for you know six weeks now. So, but a bit of but a heavy run on the Thursday, and then just a, we went to the beach and had a walk along the beach and just relaxed on the Friday in the morning. Everyone just you know completely chilled out, uh, and then of course next day Saturday in the game. So it was, it was quite a relaxed build up actually. I'd say only the Thursday was an intense training session. Apart from that, we were pretty relaxed. And how were you feeling on the morning of the final? I was feeling like you know nervous. But I was also feeling like there's history to be made here and I know this team is good enough. And I was feeling my biggest worry, if you like, was that we would not live up to our own expectations. I mean, of course you care about um, New Zealanders and fans and family and friends who are all watching you and want you to do well and you're concerned about letting them down. But 
I was much more concerned about the team not performing to the ability we, the way we played throughout the whole tournament. It would have been just a tragedy to let it all slip um, on the biggest day. And so uh, that was probably my my biggest worry. I didn't worry about performance of other individual players or our tactics. We knew exactly how we wanted to play the game. We we knew exactly what was necessary to win the game. We just had to had to do it. And in the match itself, again, another comfortable scoreline in terms of the victory for the All Blacks. At what point did you feel that you had it wrapped up? After I scored my try. Definitively, that was the moment. If you see the video footage, uh, you see me sort of hammering the ground after scoring the try. And the reason was that I knew I just had this overwhelming feeling that we were going to win the match. But not to that point, because it was actually pretty tough. I think it was 12, six at half time. So maybe it was nine, six or something. It was It was close at half time. We'd scored a converted try and a penalty, um, something like that. And so it was it was tight at half time. And we turned to play into the into the wind in the second half. So I was very adamant with the team at half time that this was about grind and this was about doing the simple things well and this was about eliminating mistakes. It was about making um making tackles and winning the winning the breakdown. Um and there was there was we had to score first in the second half. Because if they scored first in the second half and, and got in front of us or came with us, that would really boost so we played a bit of a grinding second half until that sort of magic five minutes when I scored my try and then we went back to the kickoff and they kicked off and, and I made another break and then um, Wayne Shelford picked it up and passed to John Kerwin and he scored. So it was probably a magic two minutes that we scored two tries um, and that really put the game out of reach of France. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? You can click on my Patreon link, I'll put it on the screen as well as in the description box, and there will be great benefits for members. Let's get back to the interview. So what did it feel like when the referee blew the final whistle and you were the first ever Rugby World Champions? I mean, it felt, it felt wonderful, it was joyous, I felt like that. But, but but more than sort of that sort of naked jumping around joy, it was more of more of a deep satisfaction. It's been a long, hard road, and we've done it. We've won. So, and going with that satisfaction is a is a degree of relief that you know you've been living on this edge for a long time, and particularly in the build up to the final and in the final, and living on the edge, knowing that it was there if we were good enough to to take it, and then finally it's done. Um, and so, you know, there was a, there was a sense of deep satisfaction. Sort of real um, appreciation of the players around you because you know, and you look at all the players and everyone's so happy, and you just think, wow, I've just played with the first ever World Cup winning team, and and these players are some of the best players in the world, and some of them are the best players, you know, they'll, they'll be comparable to the best players as ever, they've ever been in their positions. So I felt very privileged to have played with them, but it was sort of satisfaction and relief. Um, and a little bit later, when probably after the, after the award, it was more like, you know, not sadness, but a melancholy that it's all over. That we've you know we've reached the peak. We've climbed Mount Everest. We put the flag in there, and now we have to start walking down again. There was there was a sense that we you know it was all over, and it was a it was kind of a little bit bit of melancholy in that sense. As the captain, you actually get to have a second joyous moment, and that is when you receive the Rugby World Cup trophy, the Web Ellis Cup, and hoist it up into the air. Tell me about that moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost indescribable, really. Um, but 
you are, you are waiting for it. <laughs> At least I was waiting for it. I was thinking, um, you know, I'm looking forward to having, you know, pass it. Because, <laughs> you know, there were speeches and they were holding it and everything. And then, they, and then Albert Ferras, it was, who was the chair, chairman of um, of World Rugby at the time, um, passed and he turned to me. And so I turned to him and then he passed me the cup. And, you know, it's just that you reach out for it and there's that feeling. You know, it's not greedy. You're not grabbing it, but you're just you're just feeling, oh, this is this is an incredible moment. And even more incredible, actually, than just taking the cup is turning back to the ground because everyone had come out of the stands and had invaded the pitch. They call it invaded the pitch these days, but just they'd run onto the pitch. So it was just a sea of faces all on the pitch and in the stands around. And then it was sort of quiet. It wasn't as mumbling. But then you put the put the cup up and everyone cheered and, and then and there's a few words to say. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard to describe. Um it's just um, a lot of energy flows into you from all the people that are on the field and, and around you. And you just feel, uh, again, joy, but just some it's sort of it's a feeling you haven't felt before, really. It's just uh, an engagement with, with all, all, of the, all of the crowd. Now, there is a famous photograph of you with the Rugby World Cup trophy with a cut around your left eye. Do you remember how it got there? I do very well. Um, it was very close to the line in the second half. Uh, after we'd scored the two tries, I think, so it was late, late in the game. Um, and the ball came out, sort of shot out a bit sideways from a right. We were only two or three metres from the line. It was one of those hammering mauls. And it went out, and I picked the ball up and do, tried to stay really low to the ground um, to drive in to score a try. And a, um, and a defender also um, lowered themselves to make the tackle, and my, my um, eye went straight into their knee. So really, I got kneed in the eye um, as the as the as the person was crouching. Their knee came towards me, and I was diving. My head went towards him, so I got kneed in in the eye. And I, I knew it was a blow. I didn't it didn't worry me too much. But once we sort of got up, and I think it was a scrum or something, put my hand up there. I saw that blood was running. So in those days, they none of this going off to the blood bin. Someone came on very quickly, and they got Vaseline petroleum jelly and just rubbed it into the cart uh, to stop the bleeding. And that was the only um, treatment I had for the eye until um, Monday morning when I went to hospital and got it stitched up. I know you live in Sydney these days, David, but whenever you're back in New Zealand, what is the reaction from the general public? Uh, I think a certain segment of the public, probably people who are over 40 years of age, would be more likely to recognise me, but you know, less, less, certainly less so than... When I was younger, because I'm getting older, I guess, and changing, and and you know, more more rugby faces and more rugby personalities have taken centre stage, and quite rightly, so people are more attuned to the younger generation of players. But in older generations of New Zealanders, definitely, and people certainly recognise my name. So if I um, if, if I'm introduced or or named, then people will associate that name with with the All Blacks and the Rugby World Cup. And overall, how successful would you say was that 1987 Rugby World Cup? I think extremely successful. It set it set the World Cup on the path that it's travelled. And the next one, 1991, was in the UK, was much bigger, was much more commercial. Um, but in terms of the management and the playing of a tournament, the quality of the rugby, um, and the the kind of the joyousness of the crowds and the and the support. And there were quite a lot of people who travelled, not nearly as many as travelled today, but there were quite a lot of um, people from the UK in particular who travelled once as well. Um, South Africans, actually, too. 
um, even though their team wasn't playing. So I think they just went there to to be able to say, oh, we're still we would if we'd if we'd been there, we would have been the best uh, in the world to make sure they could say that um, from personal experience. But no, it was lovely to see them. People did come from all over the world, and it did kick off a genuine global tournament, international tournament. Uh, so I think it was a big success. And David, you mentioned the South Africans there, and I'd like to ask you, because there was a school of thought at the time that the All Blacks and then the Wallabies in 1991, that they couldn't really call themselves world champions until they had beaten the Springboks. Now, I've always thought that that was disrespectful, because there's no way of knowing how South Africa would have fared in 87 and 91. They may have been knocked out in the quarterfinals. They may have been on the other side of the draw and lost in the semifinals, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, we would have loved South Africa to be there, but circumstances were such that it was not appropriate for them to be there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we felt a bit of a loss as well. We would have liked to have played them in the final or played them in the semifinal or whatever it would have been. I don't think anyone's ever felt diminished by the fact that they weren't there. They're obviously world champions. And I think... Every, the, the sort of global acceptance of the quality of, I'd say, both the All Black team in 87 and the Wallaby team in 91, they were very high-quality teams. And you will remember, South Africans might not like to be reminded of this, but you will remember when South Africa came back into world rugby, they came back, but, you know, they did struggle a bit to get up to the up to the level. They lost a, quite a bit. It wasn't until 95 that they really started to come through and they obviously had a wonderful victory in that World Cup. Um, so that's another sort of point of evidence, I guess, to say that they probably would have struggled um, uh, to be at the level in the first few years um, coming back into world rugby. So um, I don't think there's any particular feeling that, uh, if, certainly not amongst the team I played for, that if South Africa had been there, we wouldn't have beaten them. All right, David, let's finish off with the trivia question. Who was the leading point scorer at the 1987 Rugby World Cup? David, I'm pretty sure you're going to know the answer, but let's check. Grant Fox. That is correct. I, I was pretty confident that you would get it right, but yeah. one never knows. No, no, he, he, he had a great tournament. Grant was renowned for not scoring many tries because he was uh, he was more of a general rather than, than the sort of really athletic fly halves we have these days. But he kicked lots of goals. Uh, drop goals, conversions, penalties. Um, so, yeah, he was comfortably. And we scored lots of tries. So he had plenty of um, conversions to to kick. He played very well in that tournament, actually, throughout. David, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on Front Row Rugby today. And I really hope that we can have you on again in the future. Thank you, Peter. I've enjoyed being here.